So we've just finished a, a week of group practice during this winter retreat and uh, moving into a less organized schedule. And then another week, uh, a number of us going into even more solitary retreat for uh, several weeks. And we've been continuing on the theme for the readings of the uh, fourth Satipatthana, uh, pretty much just having wrapped up the section on the five khandhas and about to launch into uh, the sense bases, readings on the, the sense bases, that part of the uh, fourth Satipatthana. I've been recalling a, uh, a story that I've heard about uh, Lung Por Cha uh, at Wapapong, when he was going to send uh, one of the monks uh, away for a period of time to another monastery uh, to continue his practice there. And the monk was reluctant to leave Wapapong and to leave Lumpur Cha for that, that time um, because he felt like Lumpur Cha was his teacher and he needed to be around his teacher and wasn't so sure about the place he was going to, uh, what he would find there, if there would be enough uh, supports. Um, the teaching maybe not be so much what he was used to. And uh, Lung Cha's response was, um, you know, you don't look at it that way. Um, you're going to be going to a place and, and you will have teachers there. In fact, you'll have six teachers. You'll have your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind uh, as your teachers, the six sense bases. Um, and they're with you wherever you go. So you're never without a teacher. So I always enjoyed that, reflecting on that, that um, this is uh, one of the uh, prime reflections or ways of, of looking at our experience uh, we can learn so much from uh, about suffering and the end of suffering. The five khandhas and the six sense bases are essentially t two slightly different angles, but looking at the same experience the experience of experience. Um, that um, the five khandhas are sort of one way of uh, uh, grouping all the different aspects of our experience of, of body and mind, uh, form, feelings, perceptions, um, mental formations, and consciousness is uh, constituting what it is that we call who we are. Uh, and then the six sense bases um, of uh, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, and, and the intellect, um, body and mind, yeah, the intellect, um, kind of being a, a different grouping, but of a similar, uh, of a similar nature. Uh, the five physical sense bases being the body, essentially, part of the body, or the experience, how we experience uh, the sense realm through the body and then the mind as well, um, the intellect, the uh, intellect and its ideas, its concepts. 
So just a slightly different angle uh, of looking at experience, grouping of our experience. There's the uh, teaching from the Buddha, uh, the reflection from the Buddha that is a favorite of mine about uh, beings, that this samsara is uh, without a discernible beginning for a long time. Beings have been wandering and roaming through this samsara, obstructed by ignorance and fettered by craving. And the five khandas contemplation, the six sense bases contemplation, are of course both oriented towards undoing our uh, ignorance and becoming unfettered from our craving. Um, I tend to think of, of them having slightly different emphases, although both of them, of course, both of those contemplations, the five aggregates and the six sense bases, uh, address both ignorance and craving. I tend to think of the, the five khandas contemplation aiming more towards the uh, ignorance aspect of it and the, the six sense based contemplations aiming uh, a bit more, leaning more in the direction of, of looking at the craving aspect uh, of our obstructions. Because the six sense bases are, of course, um, the place where feeling arises, the feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, and, and neutral uh, arise from that contact uh, in the six sense bases that come together with the six sense bases. And um, this, uh, this feeling uh, is what is, serves as the basis, of course, for the uh, arising of craving that then progresses into clinging, becoming, birth, and suffering. So I see the, the contemplation of the six sense spaces as this opportunity to really start to understand uh, the process of, of craving and how to let that unwind, let that unbind, let the, the fetters fall away. The word fetter uh, is is a very strong one that kind of uh, bonding or holding together, uh, obstructing, limiting one like a ball and chain, fettered. So we can see how, how we live our lives oftentimes um, just following this craving, craving being in charge of, of our lives. It's, it it uh, just uh, holds us in its, in its, its uh, grip. It's hard to free ourselves from the, this, this grip of desire and craving. And it just takes over. It, leads us around, uh, it 
demands that we gratify it. And we expect so much from our, our body and mind uh, based on this craving. We have so many expectations. Uh, we place so many demands on this body to uh, give us a sense of pleasure, to gratify this craving. Uh, and it's fairly relentless. So our task is to see if we can unglue ourselves from the, these habitual patterns. In the, in the teachings that uh, we'll probably start hearing more about from the readings, uh, one of the standard um, paradigms for analyzing our experience through the six sense bases is one that's also seen in the five khandhas. We've talked about this uh, grouping of, of uh, looking at our experience through the lens of gratification, danger, and escape. And uh, this is uh, oftentimes how it's described, particularly in relation to the six sense bases as well, maybe even a little more so, uh, particularly when you look through the uh, salayatana uh, waga, the salayatana uh, sanyuta, uh, the collection of teachings around the six sense bases. Um, many different angles that it comes from or, or comes through, but uh, uh, often referring back to that gratification, danger, and escape. And so that's a good way to, to start the exploration. And to realize that the Buddha never denied that there was a certain uh, amount of real gratification that comes when we uh, try and satisfy um, the desire, the craving that arises at any of the sense bases. Uh, and to acknowledge that there is that gratification, there wouldn't be the, the hook, uh, wouldn't be there if, if there weren't that sense of um, uh, pleasant experience that comes from following uh, sensory experience. But to look and see what uh, the limitations of that are, uh, this is looking at the danger um, and we can just see that uh, as it uh, arises in any one of these uh, moments of, of sensory experience, um, that the danger is in, is in the transiency of it, the fact that, um, yes, I get my hit of uh, enjoyment uh, from whatever it is in the sensory world, uh, and then uh, it soon dissipates, uh, the gratification happens, the event is over, and, but the desire uh, has just gone dormant for a short while until it arises again, and we have to find some other avenue within the sense realm to uh, get the same hit. And oftentimes, uh, having to kind of up the ante a little bit, there's uh, particularly if it's the same um, sense base that we're operating in, then it seems like you know many times the uh, more we uh, engage or indulge, um, then ne the next time that comes up, we have to kind of uh, go a little bit further um, because the same amount of uh, experience, pleasurable experience, doesn't quite satisfy in the same way that the first time around did. So kind of have 
having to keep refreshing, renewing, increasing uh, the stimulation to get the same to get the same pleasure. So there's a bit of what they call developing developing tolerance. Um, and that's actually just part of natural biology in, in many cases, but really plays out in this whole realm of, of craving. So we're really uh, hooked into it, addicted uh, in some ways. So the transient nature is, is what we call the danger. I remember... Uh, before I became a monk, when I was uh, just starting in some ways to develop a bit more uh, familiarity with this tradition, but already been, already been practicing for, for a while. And uh, Ajinamaro was coming to the West Coast. This was bef- well before the monastery here was, op- was opening up. Uh, and a few years before, I was uh, considering seriously considering um, ordination. Uh, but anyway, I was his attendant in San Francisco for a period of six weeks or so during one of his several month stays, and we had rented a uh, a place uh, in Sam- in the city itself, uh, a large uh, apartment building or a large apartment uh, with several bedrooms, and uh, I was his attendant uh, there for about six weeks, and. It was a wonderful opportunity, of course, and I had many uh, good interactions. But there was one very memorable interaction, at least for me. I don't know if Ajinamara would remember it, but uh, I was just we were just sitting talking about Dhamma and life, um, sitting in the living room uh, on Duncan Street. And I remember we started talking about, you know, the... Uh, various aspects of living in the world, uh, myself being an avid householder and, and uh, uh, involved in all the various things uh, of living a human life. And um, talking about you know, this very issue of um, transiency of, of uh, experience, particularly sensory experience, uh, and you know, the gratification and then the danger, the, the fact that it uh, um, all changes, uh, you know, it's unstable, and um, that even the best possible circumstances that one can find oneself in uh, will inevitably change. And I remember saying to him, um, I said, well, you know, to me, if you go into some sort of experience, you know, I think we're particularly talking about the realm of personal relationships, close relationships. I said, if you go into them um, knowing that it is going to change and it's and it's going to you know it's going to pass, um, and you do that with open eyes, um, then I can see how it's worth it. You know, you 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 know have your enjoyment, you, you know, uh, get what you can uh, from a relationship, but you know that it's going to pass. So um, it, as long as you're honest about it and go into it honestly, um, makes sense to me that uh, one should just, you know, uh, get the benefits from it, uh, even though you know that there's going to be a downside. 
And I remember his response at that time was, I was looking at him and his face was just completely blank. <laughs> and um, uh, he, you know, like his mouth didn't quiver, his eyebrows didn't rise, rise up, his forehead didn't wrinkle, uh, anything like that. But his eyes widened just a, a little bit, just enough that I noticed. And I didn't say anything. And then, and then I saw him, he took a, his eyes blinked, kind of one of these Ajinomoro slow blinks. And then opened up again, just slightly wider than normal. He didn't say a, didn't say a word. And I knew exactly what he was thinking. <laughs> he was thinking, this guy is, is you know, deluded. And um, it was at that moment, you know, I, I just, I think I just changed the subject. <laughs> like, I didn't want to go any further here. Let's, let's talk about the weather or something like that. And, um, and, and just left it at that. And, and in retrospect, I think that that was kind of like the, the first real crack in my resolve to remain uh, out of the monastic life. I always had these kind of leanings and tendencies and appreciations for the monastic community but had always been trying to find my way uh, to justify uh, why, I, why it wasn't going to happen for me. And, and for some reason, that moment was sort of like an eye-opening moment. It's sort of like, you know, just not willing to look at what, what he was saying uh, in terms of the transiency of, of everything within the conditioned world. And my not being willing to kind of open up to that truth. So really, even though I wasn't acknowledging it out in the open, that was kind of a, a, a very important understanding or insight, I guess you could call it, uh, that okay, there is a downside to this and maybe uh, it's something I should pay a little bit more attention to. So you have the gratification, you have the, the, the danger uh, in, the, in the realm of the senses, and then the escape. Uh, what is the escape? Nisarana, the escape from this, um, uh, the dangers uh, of, uh, of uh, buying into the craving, dangers of, of, of just blindly following craving. Uh, what, is the, what is the escape from that? And uh, as the teachings tell us, um, uh, the escape uh, is in a sense restraint uh, uh, and basically um, not attending uh, to the signs and features of the sensory world that provoke uh, craving, uh, that are provocative of craving. Uh, and craving in, uh, in both of its uh, aspects, both the, the craving for something pleasurable and the craving to get away uh, from something uh, that's very unpleasant. Um, so not attending uh, unwisely uh, to those signs and features that, that bring that up. But learning how to look at uh, sensory experience uh, from a more neutral uh, viewpoint. 
So there's lots of different ways that uh, we do that, and a lot of this is, of course, in our daily life. Um, that um, you know, we we see how it is is that how it is that we look at the world uh, through that lens of of craving and desire, uh, and learn to um, back away from that. Um, sense restraint comes in a lot of different forms. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, it's really important to actually just remove oneself from a particular uh, area of experience, a realm or moment of experience, uh, if it's a really uh, intense uh, experience um, that's bringing on uh, craving. And um, uh, you know, one of the appropriate responses in some cases is to just remove oneself from uh, that uh, environment. So we have, you know, instructions from the Buddha on, um, like in the, the Sabhasava Sutta, the, uh, um, uh, how to uh, abandon uh, the, the asavas, the, the taints, uh, particularly of sensuality in this case, through avoiding. Um, you, you don't go to places um, that will put one in, in danger of uh, provoking uh, the, the sense desire. So we don't go to, bar, as monks anyway, we don't go to bars and we don't go to taverns and you know, we don't go to places where uh, there's a lot of uh, sense, sense stimulation. Um, uh, we don't go to a lot of parties, <laughs> uh, things like that, where uh, where it would just be too stimulating. Um, that would be considered wrong resort. So that's a form of sense restraint. Um, and you know, we conduct our lives here in the monastery based around simplicity, uh, renunciation, and all the people that come and stay with us uh, do the same. So we're just looking to, to cool down the whole sensory environment because uh, uh, we need that kind of support from the, uh, the world around us uh, that we engage in, the places we go, the people we choose to be with. Uh, we need that kind of external support uh, because the sense realm is very, very strong and alluring. But we can't shut ourselves off from the world of experience completely either. Um, so we're not attempting to um, completely deprive our uh, experience from any kind of uh, sensory stimulation. Um, there will be uh, times when attractive people come through, where uh, the food is well prepared and beautifully presented, uh, when all the sights, sounds, tastes, odors, sensations, uh, are, are pleasurable, uh, and we have to know uh, how to handle that when they do come to us, um, and uh, they will. Um, so it's uh, being careful to learn how to, again, as it's stated, not attend to the particular signs and features, uh, because desire sees what it wants to see. We have to selectively attend to certain uh, aspects of experience uh, for desire to get what it wants. Um, and um, we have to not buy into that uh, habit. Uh, and 
we have to keep reminding ourselves to look at uh, any particular sense object uh, or to experience any particular sense object uh, with clarity uh, and in its completeness. Um, this is, of course, why we have the Asuba practices and the uh, here we're going to, there's going to be, for people who are staying up tonight, there's going to be an autopsy video just to sort of help break the illusion of uh, what we usually uh, experience this body uh, as, uh, take a, a deeper look into the interior. Just as a way of counteracting that um, kind of uh, uh, haze that we like to look at things through, it's kind of like looking through rose-colored glasses. You know, we like to have a certain taint of, uh, in, in how we view experience of the senses. At the, there's a uh, lovely um, verses uh, uh, from the Terigata uh, that uh, it's a great example of, of that where uh, Suba, the nun, uh, she's an enlightened uh, bhikkhuni, uh, is being uh, harassed by a, uh, uh, a layman um, to come and romp with her in the, in the woods and, you know, submit to sensual desires. And, and he's trying to woo her. And, and she's, you know, of course, as an arahant, she's not buying it. And she's, you know, just basically scolding him and saying you know, you're crazy, <laughs> you're out of your mind, you know, you know, why would you want to uh, even think about uh, trying to uh, pursue uh, this kind of relationship with uh, an arahant bhikkhuni, or she wouldn't refer to herself as an arahant, but as, a, you know, a daughter of the Buddha, and uh, he just, he can't be swayed, and, and, um, He's just so enwrapped by by her, and he's just in this kind of haze, uh, this kind of uh, sensual haze uh, that has overcome him. Um, which kind of reminds me sometimes of the like when we see in, in rutting season the the the, the bucks and the and the doe, uh, the does uh, going through their their mating routine or, or their uh, uh, romance, uh, and that the uh, I saw this once close up uh, when near my walking path one afternoon. That you know the, a buck is usually quite alert and open and clear-eyed and uh, very sensitive to human presence and bounds away. And that it was during rutting season, and he was trying to woo this this doe, and just sort of slowly following her around, and his head was kind of bowed down and his his lids were sort of half half open and he just was moving very slowly and just following her very slowly and he was just like completely entranced and didn't even know I was there he was just so overcome with with uh, with lust and it was just so striking you know what sensual desire can do um, but anyway, a little bit of an aside that uh, from the, the Suba the Nun story. That uh, anyway, uh, she finally says, "What is it that you find so attractive about about me?" And uh, he says, "Well, it's your eyes. It's your you know the, the most beautiful thing that you know can exist. You know they look like deer's eyes. They're so 
they're so beautiful. Um, and she goes, well, you know, how can you be so attracted to this, you know, ball of wax set in, uh, set in a socket with secretions? And he just can't be swayed. So basically she just looks at him and she reaches in, grabs a hold of her eyeball, pulls it out and hands it to him and says, here, you like it so much, it's yours, take it. And of course his desire dissolves right there on the spot and he uh, grants her uh, her wish to uh, leave her alone and, and uh, departs. But it's that kind of um, blind craving um, uh, that we're looking to uh, uh, not be fooled by anymore. So taking a, a close look uh, at the, the temporary nature uh, of gratification and not attending to signs and features, but looking at the world of sensory experience more honestly, um, looking at the human body just as it is, not as a disgusting kind of a thing, although it can be sometimes if you're really uh, looking deep inside it, but um, uh, trying to keep a well-rounded uh, grasp on it, or the food line when we go through and, you know, uh, looking at the things that we really like the most and spending time, should I take more of that? Maybe I should take just one more uh, uh, and uh, getting to the end of, end of the line and the desserts and however it is that we react to them. Um, how do we attend to that? Are we spending a lot of time considering how many more to take and how much pleasure we should be getting out of it? Or do we just move through a little more quickly uh, and uh, take what we need and uh, move on? There was a time I remember also <laughs> just the strength of some somehow these food desires can be for us as monastics. Uh, but uh, uh, remembering one humorous moment when early on in my uh, monk's life when there was a meal invitation at a Thai restaurant in the city and a number of us were down there um, and uh, Ajahn Suchito happened to be visiting us uh, and was part of the meal invitation and it was just a full-on offering, you know, dish after dish in, uh, coming on and, and they just kept on coming. It seemed like it was an endless supply of this really well-prepared Thai food and um, we were all getting, of course, quite well fed, um, and every time you thought that, that was the end, then something else would come up. Uh, it wasn't all presented at the same time, so you weren't quite sure how much to, to take or not to take. And we finally got through, and you know, just speaking for myself, I was completely stuffed, and, and then dessert comes, of course, and so you're uh, taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that from the dessert tray, and because of course the, uh, the donors, the owners of the restaurant were standing by making sure that you were <laughs> you know, taking, taking, everything that, uh, taking some of everything that they offered. And so finally the end of the dessert happens and the fruit, of course, uh, at the end and, and just kind of reeling um, from having had too much. And just when we thought it was over, the cheesecake comes out and everybody's given us a piece of cheesecake and, and I was thinking to myself, wow, I don't know if I can do this. 
And then uh, I looked over at Ajahn Suchito, and he was kind of looking at it. And uh, he said kind of quietly, but loud enough for me to hear anyway, maybe some others, he said, he said, there is no known defense against cheesecake. <laughs> and we both, and everybody else, I think, who was there, kind of just, <laughs> okay, <laughs> one more, one more round. <laughs> so, you know, the allure of food uh, is very strong, and um, sometimes it feels like we are defenseless. But we learn from those things, too. So sense restraint, uh, not attending to signs and features. This is our escape uh, from being completely controlled uh, by sense desire. And it's a lifetime practice <laughs> for many, for many of us, I think. So the practice, particularly around um, sense restraint and, and monitoring the um, uh, experiences that we have through the six sense bases, the contemplation of the six senses, uh, is uh, largely, in my mind, um, something that we do off the cushion. Uh, on the cushion, we're developing our you know, meditation practice and our skills and looking for alternatives to... Uh, the pleasures that come from the senses, something that's a little more sublime and, and skillful uh, and develops clarities for, for being able to see things, slow down, slow down the, the habitual reactions uh, so that when we are um, confronted with the experience of the sense bases uh, and they're coming at us uh, full on uh, in our daily activities so that we have a little bit more clarity uh, from our time on the cushion, but but really, where the uh, rubber hits the road is is uh, in the day-to-day -day activities, uh, and learning how to have enough clarity to be able to catch uh, uh, the stimulation that's coming in through our uh, senses. Uh, so that we don't let it get too far, and, and the practice is just catching it sooner and sooner um, through mindfulness and clear comprehension, staying grounded in the body, uh, being alert to uh, uh, how the mind gets moved uh, through the sensory uh, experience, and learning to uh, not engage in inappropriate attention and to engage in appropriate attention as soon as we see uh, a wavering uh, coming up through some realm of the senses. But it's, yeah, it's this, uh, this, is, this is where, where the work is, is really done in this realm. Uh, it's uh, just staying in the moment uh, with that uh, guarded senses. Again, not closed off to the realm of uh, sensory experience, but uh, uh, very attentive and alert to uh, being caught and being moved into that kind of hazy confusion uh, where uh, desire grabs, grabs hold and leads us around. Uh, it's like a prisoner. You know, we're a prisoner, we're a slave to these uh, 
this uh, craving. And asking ourselves, you know, do we really want to keep doing this? You know, how, how much longer do we want to be controlled uh, by senseless craving? When will we, when will we have had enough? Because it's insatiable, it's just that the, there's never any long-term gratification. So we you know, get hit over the head time and again. Uh, we fall for it over and over. Uh, and uh, we have to have the, the stamina uh, and the persistence to, to keep picking ourselves up and saying, okay, lost that one, but maybe I'll be a little more ready for the next one. Uh, and it takes, it takes a lot of commitment and bravery to keep this up and not to just sink into uh, falling for it, uh, succumbing to it. So we muster all the resources that we can. You know, we hang around the right people. We don't go to the wrong places. You know, we, we do whatever we can to um, support uh, being able to see past this. It's also so important to uh, realize the, uh, at least to some extent, some of the fruits of the practice, some of the, the peace of mind that, that comes uh, you know, over a period of time as we start to get little victories here and there. Um, and as our meditation practice uh, stabilizes and becomes more secure, and we start to actually really experience some of the more sublime, uh, pleasurable experiences through meditation, the settling of the mind, the, uh, the peacefulness of, of uh, uh, samadhi, the peacefulness of a collected mind, of a, a composed mind that isn't darting around uh, the benefits of living in a community of like-minded people who are all following precepts. You know, what a blessing that is. Uh, and, you know, the sense of security and safety, uh, trust that one can develop when one is practicing and with and, and living with people who are committed to those same kinds of precepts. Uh, just reflecting on that uh, and seeing the uplift in the mind that comes, boy, we have it. We have it really good, you know, a lot better than most of the world. Who people who have to live in, you know, fear and distrust. You know, we're, we don't have to do that here. The, you know, the, the uplift of mind that comes from helping, generosity, the work we do, what we contribute to the life here at the monastery or in the world, if we're out in the world, the goodness that comes from uh, right livelihood. Uh, reflecting on that. And seeing the effects that it has over time. I remember, you know, often in my days before coming, taking ordination, just getting exposed to the, the monastic community, Ajahn, Amaro, Ajahn Pasano, Ajahn Sumedho, and thinking, looking at these people and saying, gosh, 
these people are really happy. It's not the same kind of happiness that you know you see out in the world. These people seem to be really content. You know, I want that. <laughs> I want that too. Uh, I want to bring that into the world. So reflecting on that, reflecting on the the goodness that comes from um, this way of life uh, and this pursuit, this trying to damp down. Yeah, the uh, effects of the world, the stimulations of the world, what it does to us inside, uh, and the cooling and the peace and the uh, genuine, deep sense of contentment and happiness that can come uh, with uh, this kind of restraint of the senses and, and development of uh, sublime forms of happiness, of contentment, through letting go through release, relinquishment. So it's not all drudgery, it's not all difficulty, it's not all resistance to uh, the temptations of the world. Um, that's, you know, some, there is some of that, of course, through uh, the sense restraint and renunciation. Uh, and then there's the, the benefits uh, that come from that, as well as the uplifting uh, nature of, of seeing clearly, uh, removing the veil, uh, and um, seeing uh, the goodness uh, in the world that arises from this, uh, from this way of life. So just looking forward to uh, the next few sessions uh, this coming week of moving into uh, another set of contemplations that um, will move us into the realm of the, the sense spaces, the six sense spaces, another way of looking at our experience uh, and seeing how we can uh, free ourselves uh, from suffering and uh, yeah, develop a, a, the long-term sense of, of gratification and well-being uh, that comes from not being fooled by uh, the sense realm. So I think I'll leave it just for uh, reflection this evening.